From being spiritually dead to being made alive in Christ. That's the topic today on Bold Steps with Mark Joe. You want to see God's beautiful museum? Look at a life that was dead and now is alive unto God and being transformed. That is God's living artwork. You are it. Oh man, the art museum downtown, nothing. Nothing compared to the beauty of what God can do. Well, is it religion that changes you and makes you a better person, or is it something or someone else? Welcome to the program. Mark is the senior pastor of New Life Community Church and the president of Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Today's message is one part of our brand new series called When You Believe, Everything Changes. If you've missed any of the messages in this series, you can catch up online at boldstepsradio.org. And then while you're online, let me invite you to sign up for Mark's weekly email devotional, The Bold Stepper Weekly. It's free and automatically delivered to your inbox each Monday morning. And I know you won't want to miss Mark's timely and relevant insights. Right now, let's get started with today's Bold Steps. Here's our teacher, Mark Job. Really, who lives inside of you is the Holy Spirit that carries with him the essence and the presence of Jesus. Are you understanding? Technically, who lives inside of you really is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, which has the nature of Jesus and the nature of God right inside. But technically, it's the Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, that's transforming you. The difference between religion and the message of the gospel is right there. Religion, most religions teach you that you have to try to change your, modify your behavior so that you become a good person. You become a better person than you are a bad person. It's religious behavior modification. Most religions teach you try to be good, try to be better, try to improve, try to be nicer to people, try to cuss less, try to give more, try to be less selfish. And if you do all these things and you really discipline yourself to do these things, then ultimately if you work really, 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 really hard, then you will be acceptable to God and you will have made it. That's what religion teaches The gospel of Jesus Christ in the Bible does not teach that. Some of you aren't sure, well, what are you saying, Pastor? I got to be bad? I mean, I don't understand. I I thought I was here to be good. And now you're teaching me that God doesn't teach it to be good? No, 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 I didn't say that. I didn't say that God doesn't teach you to be good. Religion teaches you to be good so you can be acceptable to God. The Bible teaches that once the Holy Spirit is inside of you, you will be good not because you're trying to be acceptable unto God, but because God is in you, you will be good because you're acceptable to God already. You're working out of the goodness that is in you, not working towards goodness to be accepted. Are you understanding that? There's a huge difference. 
That's why he goes on to say, listen, listen to what he says. Why does he do this? In order that the coming ages, verse 7, he may show the incomparable richness of his grace, expressed in the kindness of Jesus. This is all so that we can see the goodness of God. So that people can point to you and say, God is good. Look at that person. Man, if God can do that in their life, God must be real. Man, they were a mess. God delights, I think, sometimes in getting the messed up. You don't always take the, just the good. I think God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you what I can do with that person. See that person? Everybody says, oh, no, oh, them, no, I will never see them. God says, watch. God gets those people that are really hard, turns them around, and people say, wow. I've had it happen a lot. People walk in and say, guess that person's in church. I know that person. They come to church. Well, you knew, them, you knew the old self. Well, they're a new self now. I remember one time I, I, I had led this guy to Christ. He'd come out of prison. I mentored him. He used to, he used to lead a prostitution ring and, and a gang. And he was an usher. A guy walked into church for the first time. He looked at the usher. And he came to me and said, Pastor? I said, yeah. He said, I'm new here. You know that guy that you have an usher there? I said, yeah, yeah, I know him. Last time I saw him, he had a sawed-off shotgun pointed at my head. I said, well, you better take a seat then. <laughs> you know, God can change us. He delights in transforming us. No matter who we are, where we come from, we are not beyond the transforming power of God. It's for the richest of his kindness that he manifests his glory. And verse 8, look what he says. Oh, I wish I could preach this. Listen, verse 8. For it is by grace. What is grace? Not your neighbor next door. No. Not what you say before you have a meal. No. Grace is the unmerited, undeserved favor of God. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We can't make it happen to us. It's just God choosing to be favorable to us because he chooses to give us favor. That's grace. So listen, it is because God chooses to show us favor that you have been saved. What does it mean to be saved? Saved from the wrath of God. It means to be changed by the Holy Spirit. Saved from a destiny outside of them. It is because of God's favor that you have been saved. And it's through faith. It's God's grace that saves you, but it comes via believing. You have to believe for it to come to you. It's through faith and believing that it comes to you, but it's God's grace. Listen. And this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. I love that. If you could save yourself, it wouldn't be a gift. It would be a merit. And when you came before God, we'd pin a medal on your chest and said, you made it, they didn't because you were good and they were bad. And you would say, praise me. Glory to me, I made it. When it's a gift, all you can say is glory to God. 
You're listening to Bold Steps with Mark Job. We're pausing the program for a moment to remind you that if you would like to take advantage of the tools and resources we have available to help you grow in your study of the Word, we'd love for you to go online to our website and explore. It's boldstepsradio.org. You'll find books and past programs. Even ask Mark a question, which I'm going to do right now through a (laughs) listener, Mark, if you're ready for this. I'm ready. It comes from Karen in South Florida who listens. Pastor Mark, you were speaking about heaven and hell in your afterlife series, and you mentioned there was no such thing as soul sleep as some people believe. I always believed in soul sleep, as the Bible said, those who died in Christ will be raised first, as it says in Thessalonians. Why would Paul say that the dead in Christ will rise first when the trumpet blows if that's not the case? I'm sure Paul knew exactly what he was saying, so please clarify your position that you spoke about refuting soul sleep. Thank you, she says. Yeah, thank you, Karen, for asking that question. And it's a common area of confusion. So let me try to just explain it as quickly as I can. So first of all, let me say that the term soul sleep or soul death does not occur in the Bible. People holding to the position of soul sleep or soul death are called mortalist. Hmm. The confusion arises around the term that's used in several parts of the Bible where death is referred to as sleeping. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, Then he appears to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Or uh, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine, it says, For those who eat or drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why some among you are weak and sick, and a number of them have fallen asleep. In 1 Thessalonians, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep with him. So uh, people read that and they think, okay, well, when I die, I go into some sort of unconscious slumber called soul sleep. Mm -hmm. However, there are other places in Scripture that make it very clear that the moment that we die— We go to the presence of Jesus. Praise God. (laughs) So the term sleep is not referring to what actually happens. Our soul doesn't fall asleep. It's a way of referring to death. For the believer, death is just that. We're going to wake up again. Oftentimes in Scripture, instead of saying death, for the believer, it talks about the believer sleeping because we will wake up again. It's not permanent. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, listen to this, Karen. This is really good. It tells us that, Paul is writing and says, therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be with the Lord. King James says, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Philippians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22 also says, having the desire to depart and to be with Christ, for that is much better than to remain in the flesh. Jesus, when he died on the cross, said, you will be in paradise with me today. So, Karen, to make a long answer shorter, simply this, for a believer that knows Jesus, when we die, you don't go into this long slumber. You go directly into the presence of Jesus. And isn't it great that we have God's promise, huh? Yes, I'm not 
looking forward to some big, long nap of years. I'm looking forward to go straight into the presence of Jesus. I'm with you, Mark. I really am. Okay, let's continue today's message now. Thank you for that answer, Mark. Mark is going to tell us now about the biggest lies about religion. Glory to his goodness. Glory to his mercy. Because if I had to try to do it on my own, I would have failed. Listen, the Bible says all our good works are dirty rags before him. Listen, I believe that sometimes religion has done more damage than good because one of the biggest lies of religion is this. Hear me. This is really, really important. One of the biggest lies of religion is this. One of the biggest lies that many religion teaches us is that our good works will make us right before God. God says, it is by grace that you are saved, not by works so that you can't boast. Listen to me well. You do not become right with God because of your works. You do works because you're right with God. Let me say that again. You do not get right with God because of good works. You do good works because you are right with God. You get right with God by simply responding to the gift that he's given you, not by working so hard that the scale of the good works outweighs the scale of the bad works. You will never be good enough for God. Never. You can never be holy enough for Him. His standard is perfection, and you and I miserably fail His standard. If there were a way to get to God through our works, Jesus would have never come. If there were a way for us to meet the standard of perfection and earn our way into glory, Jesus would have never died. Jesus came and died because there was no other way. Someone had to pay the price because you and I could not be good enough. And to try to earn our way to God through good works is to insult the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's to spit in the face of God and say, I think I can pay this price. I think I can pay the debt. You can't pay the debt. I can't pay the debt. It was paid for us on the cross of Calvary through the blood of Jesus Christ. All I can do is receive it. You say, well, pastor, that seems too easy. Oh, no, it's not easy. It's free, but it's not cheap. Oh, it's free. God's salvation is a gift, it says. It's not by works so that no one can boast. It's free. What God requires in exchange? Your life. God says, you want it? Give me your life and I'll give it to you. You want the gift? Then give me your life so I'll be Lord of your life. That's what it means to be Lord, master of your life. And I will come into your life and I will rule your life and run your life and you will die to yourself 
and you will live unto me. And I will make you a new person. But the old person is gone. We had a baptism in our 1015 service. The old person, gone, buried. New person, alive in Jesus. You can't earn it and you can't deserve it, but it's not cheap. Oh, never, never, never mistake the freeness of the gospel for cheapness of the gospel. Never mistake the two. Some people think, ah, oh, it's too easy. It's like a prayer, prayer. No, 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 it's not just a prayer. It's a yielding of your life. It's a giving of your soul. It's a giving up of ownership and control and saying, you now manage my life. You are Lord. Come inside of me. Be Lord. Change me. I am your follower. You are my Lord. I die to myself and I live to you. That, my friends, is the essence of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let me close with this, verse 10, the last verse here. For we are God's workmanship. Now, this word workmanship is an interesting word. It's translated in the ancient Greek poema, poemia, which where is, it's where we get the word poem from. We are God's handiwork. We are God's poem. We are God's, hey, here's a better one. We are God's work of art. We, you and I, we are God's work of art. You want to see God as it's at his best? Look at a life that has been changed and redeemed and turned around and you see the art of God. You want to see God's beautiful museum? Look at a life that was dead and now is alive unto God and being transformed. That is God's living artwork. You are it. Oh, I look around this place and it makes me want to bless the name of God. I look around this place and I say, God, you are so creative. I look around this place and I say, whoa, are you powerful, God. I look around this place and I say, God, you are amazing. What, what makes me think he's so amazing? Because I've seen God at work. I've seen what we were and what we are now. I've seen what God can do in living people. I've seen the artwork of God and it's beautiful. It's amazing. Oh man, the art museum downtown, nothing. Picasso, yeah. Nothing compared to the beauty of what God can do. We are God's artwork. Listen. Created in Christ Jesus. He's taken Jesus to mold and shape his artwork. And why has he created us? This is a living, walking artwork and he's created us to do good works. He just told us before that we can't earn salvation by good works, but now he's telling us that he's created us to do good works. Why? Because he's in us, he lives in us, he's created us, he's engineered us, designed us to do good. That's part of how he has engineered and created us via his Holy Spirit. Listen, created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
God has already laid out a plan, prepared in advance the good works that you are to do. He's got a purpose. I say this all the time. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And it's a good purpose. And it's a good plan. You say, well, I don't know where I'm going. Oh, you don't know, but God does. Well, I don't know what I'm doing. Hey, God does, though. He's working all things together for his purpose. God works everything together for the good of those that love him. Oh, I don't know. My life seems like a mess. That's right. Love God. Stay focused. God is putting the pieces together to turn it out to something good. That's how God works. For his good pleasure. Yeah, so there you heard it. Working it out for his good pleasure. Some of you are making the decision to follow Christ because you've never surrendered, so you're not aware that God has a plan to put your life together. I'd like to pray with you if you've never surrendered your life to Christ because I believe that God is speaking to some people right now. So wherever you're at, would you just bow with me for a moment if you are ready to surrender? And pray this prayer. Dear God, my life's a mess. I don't see a way forward, but I bring my mess to you. I believe that you can save me, change me, heal me, restore me. And so I surrender this mess to you. I ask that you would wash me, cleanse me. I turn away from the way that I've been living and I turn to you, and I choose to follow you today with the limited understanding that I have, but I surrender myself to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on a cross. Thank you that you can wash me and cleanse me and make me a new person. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, I would love to direct you to our website, boldstepsradio.org and click on the link called My Next Step. You have further explanation about what it means to be a follower of Jesus and we'd love to send you a booklet that helps get you started in your walk with God. And remember, find a church to plug into that's preaching the Word. Great suggestion, Mark. And that link again on our website is My Next Step. You'll find that link at boldstepsradio.org. Well, Mark, today's message really hits home on the importance of surrendering and trusting in God's plan, no matter the circumstances. And in a culture where God's ways are being challenged more than ever, that trust doesn't necessarily come so easy to us, does it? It doesn't. And um, that's why I think more than ever before, we need Christians that are gracious, but confident, Wayne. And uh, sometimes Christians have the picture reputation of being these angry, (laughs) yelling, red in the face, big veins in their neck against the world. And I think there's another way. I think there's a more of a godly way. And Daniel, to me, is an example of someone that he knew how to navigate a very secular culture, but graciously he stood firm. And because of his gracious firmness, he actually influenced people in a powerful way. And that's why I love our friend Alistair Begg's book, small book, but packed full of truth. It's called Brave by Faith, God-Sized Confidence in a Post-Christian World. And I think we need more people like Daniel saying, 
I'm not going to be that angry person yelling on the street corner. I'm going to be that firm, gracious uh, person of conviction uh, that's having ripple effects in our society because I stand bravely in the truth without compromise. This book is such a powerful tool for Christians, and it's your guide to finding that God-given strength in adversity, showing you how to embrace fearlessness and faith as you journey toward a life that stands out from the crowd by kneeling low for the king. Following the example of Daniel, you'll learn how to tap into faith's power to overcome obstacles and live courageously in the face of opposition. Again, as Mark said, the book is titled Brave by Faith. We'll send you a copy with your gift of any amount to support the ministry of Bold Steps. Here's what you do. Call 844-615-7363. That's 844-615-7363. Or give your gift and request Alistair Begg's book online at boldstepsradio.org. And you can also send that gift in the mail. Write to us at Bold Steps, 820 North LaSalle Boulevard, Chicago, Illinois, 60610. And don't forget, you can always catch this program or our sister program, Bold Steps Weekend, on your favorite smart device. Just look for us in your podcast app and click subscribe. Download the Moody Radio app today. And if you speak Spanish or know of someone who does, don't miss Pasos Adasas, our new one-minute devotional with Mark Job for all of our Spanish speakers. Find it today at pasosadasas.org and pass it along to a friend. Well, thanks for joining us. That's all the time we have right now. I'm Wayne Shepard inviting you to come back, though, next week when Mark explains how we can tear down the wall we've built and start living a life that's more pleasing to the Lord. The message comes from our series called When You Believe, Everything Changes, and you can hear it Monday here on Bold Steps with Mark Joe. Bold Steps is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.